0: One of the rewards of being a tour guide in Greece is noticing the light that goes on in your visitors' eyes as they imagine the lives that were lived so long ago among the ruins where you're standing today.
1: We want them to understand exactly how they were used in ancient, everyday life and what exactly they meant for those people. How was this everyday life?
0: Hi, I'm Rick
2: Steves. Coming up in the hour ahead, travel specialists guide us around the highlights of their Mediterranean turf. As the Romans were in awe of the Greeks, the Greeks were in awe of the Egyptians, and so it goes back and back and back. In Morocco, you might find a comfortable guest house in an unsuspecting corner of the Old
3: Arab Quarter. You walk by a narrow alley, and the only thing you see of that house is a little door. When you enter it, it's magical. Or take time to enjoy the afternoon
4: relaxing on the piazza of a small town in southern Italy. We sit in the square because the world is there. We play cards, then we fall asleep. Let's explore the
0: Mediterranean world together on Travel with Rick Steves. We'll find out why Morocco is one of America's best friends and why it's a great place to enjoy a mix of the old and new in the Arab world. And we'll explore the relaxed pace of the far south of Italy, coming up in just a bit today on Travel with Rick Steves. Let's start our exploration of the Mediterranean world with travel specialist Anastasia Gaetanou, who comes to us from Thessaloniki in northern Greece, and with Colin Clement. He's been working on archaeological projects in Alexandria, Egypt now for years. They're here to help us take a fresh look at what the ruins and antiquities of the eastern Mediterranean can tell us about the one-time center of the world. Anastasia and Colin, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. When you think about the ancient world, I'm always fascinated by how about 300 B.C., Alexander the Great conquered Greece and then spread it everywhere and created what we know as the Hellenistic world. Colin, give us a little better sense of what an impact that had for us as sightseers and travelers and explorers
2: today. Well, at the time, he it, it spread a common language around, so it made communication between these different, already thriving cities and cultures. It made communication much, much easier, so they began to uh, share much more of the same lifestyle, the same idea of thought, the same writing. And as a result, you will begin to see similar architectural styles being spread around that eastern Mediterranean as well.
0: So from about 300 B.C. for a little while after that, you could fairly
2: say that Greek culture was the dominant culture spreading from? I think Greek culture was the dominant culture well into the the common era, into the A.D. period, because any educated Roman would know Greek. And there'd be a Greek temple on the main square, everywhere from uh, Rome to present-day India. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of the 12 Olympian gods, the Greek gods, spread with Alexander the Great, and they were adopted or adapted by local populations. And even the Roman gods were just uh, translations of the Greek gods, basically. Yeah, so the same bunch of different names.
0: Anastasia, if you were a tourist back in the Hellenistic times, a couple hundred years before Christ, what would the big sights to see be in the Mediterranean world?
1: Well, I would definitely start in Greece, because that was the cradle of this civilization. I would definitely go to the first and second capital of the Macedonian kingdom because that would be the place where you could see how the whole thing started, how people lived. And you can see still the remains of the palaces, you can see still the remains of the cities, and you can see still a lot of artifacts that they used in their everyday life. So
0: that would be the Macedonian kingdom. Where would that be?
1: The Macedonian kingdom was before, of course, it expanded with Alexander the Great. That would be in today's northern part of Greece mm-hmm. and a bit after our northern border into the territory of our neighbor countries. Actually today. up into
0: Bulgaria and Serbia. Um, Bulgaria
1: and Serbia, and, uh, Serbia yes, okay. a bit, and a very little of Albania.
0: Now, a lot of people think of
2: the west coast of Turkey as Turkey, but tell me about Iona. Oh, the Ionian coast, so this is where the Greeks moving from what we now know as the mainland of Greece, moved and settled there in as early as, what, the 700s before Christ. So uh, from a sightseeing point of view, the west coast of Turkey is, is really ancient Greece. Oh, you see probably better preserved Grecian or Hellenistic-style ruins in uh, western Turkey than you will in the mainland of Greece. I don't know if you disagree with with yeah, this. Sure. Let's say you had a private jet in uh, time of Christ, and you could go around the Hellenistic world and hurry and see the top sites. What would be the wonders oh, uh, of the ancient world for you? The ones that have come down to us. I mean, Ephesus. Ephesus is, um, on the west coast of Turkey. On the west coast of Halicarnassus, the tomb of Mausoleus, was considered oh, one of the...
1: not much left, but
2: still. Well, no, no, I'm talking about in those yeah, days. Yeah. Oh, in those days, that's right. That's a, a good right, distinction. Right. If you're traveling in those days, yes, nothing is left anymore. I mean, the Colossus of Rhodes, you know, on the Island of Rhodes, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, which continued to stand up until the 14th century, that was definitely visited. Now, with,
0: Alexandria was the, one of the great cities of oh, the Western world in I
2: its think day. in the Hellenistic era, it was the greatest city.
0: And that's where you live today. Yeah. You research with the French Archaeological Mission.
2: That's correct, yeah. What work do you do, actually, in Alexandria? Uh, at the moment, we're doing a number of things actually outside the city. The trouble with Alexander is the modern city is built right on top of the ancient city. So something has to be pulled down before we can actually explore within the town. But it was such a vast metropolis and there was huge amounts of settlements on the the lakes and the inland so you're having to
0: excavate on the periphery of ancient Alexandria because the modern city of Alexandria sits on the core of ancient Alexandria? Yeah, yeah,
2: effectively, that's the case, yeah.
0: And I know in Athens, it's an interesting problem also. It's very difficult to build a new uh, part of the subway because every time you dig down, you find archaeological well, treasures. No matter
1: where you are in Greece, if you dig a hole, you'll find antiquities. So, so it's you, always the same problem. It's probably a
0: nightmare for a contractor to be trying to build something and then, oh no, we've discovered something and now we have to go to the government and tell them we've got an antiquity. Could stop the whole process.
1: Definitely, and the budget definitely will go up.
0: The budget will go up, that's right. Talk about, for a minute, the commerce on the Mediterranean in this day and age. I mean, we see all these obelisks in Rome. They didn't just happen,
2: they were shipped there from Egypt. Oh yeah, the obelisks, which which of course predate the whole Hellenistic, I mean, they're pharaonic items. There are more, I believe there are more standing obelisks in Rome than there are in Egypt itself. They were all transported. The Romans were such collectors of antiquities. And this is something important for us to remember,
0: is that you could be living in Rome in the time of Christ, and and you've got some very interesting antiquities yourself, because you go back 2,000 years before that, or or you see the ruins of ancient Greece, and Clearly. in a lot of ways, Socrates and Plato were just as mysterious and ancient to the Romans as the Romans
2: are to us. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the Romans were, were massive collectors and, and great fans of, first of all, Greek culture, and then as the Romans were in awe of the Greeks, the Greeks were in awe of the Egyptians, and so it goes back and back and back. Hadrian, for example, he now Hadrian's villas are all over the place. Hadrian was a great traveler and a great builder. Absolutely. He loved Athens and he's left his mark in the So in much the of what we see Athens. today in Athens is actually Roman. Certain elements in the temple right. of Olympian Zeus. I mean, Anastasia would know this better than me.
1: Well, um, the Romans definitely did leave their mark in Greece, but I think you see more Roman antiquities as you go furthermore to the east. To the east. To so the, the east. More, more of Rome course, in... Italy, definitely. Yeah. But I think you see more in Turkey than you see in Greece. Roman, right. that is. On the other hand, as far as Hellenistic is concerned, I just wanted to add something that Alexander the Great, he did not stay long in Greece. He stayed only two years, and then he left to fight against the Persians. So most of what he did was in the east. Farther east from Further Athens. Farther east oh, okay. from Athens, farther east because from Greece. Because he was a
0: warrior. He had, in fact, he conquered Greece, and then he really knew how to to live by the sword, and he spread Greek culture, which it seems to me he felt was more the winning culture than his own Macedonian culture. He spread it all through his em- vast empire that he created.
1: Definitely, he was a genius. And many times when we talk about Macedonian culture and Greek culture, we don't realize that it's more or less the same. The main difference is that when we talk about Greeks, we mean uh, democracy, while right. the Macedonians always had a kingdom but actually the culture itself, the way of thinking, is exactly the same.
0: It's very hard for non-scholars to get their brains around all this ancient rubble, but one very key date that I know is 323 BC, the date Mm -hmm. that Alexander died, right? Mm -hmm. And that it sort of divides classical Greece and the the Golden Age and you know, uh, the Acropolis and all of that and that was the balanced period with Hellenism, the period after that, which is after Greece had been conquered by the Macedonians, but sort of spread by their conquerors, and, and Greek becomes what you were talking about, Colin, the sort of
2: common denominator of the whole Absolutely. Mediterranean world. I mean, it, I think Alexander the Great took the culture that had developed in that golden age in the fifth century before Christ and spread that around the eastern Mediterranean. And the result was that Greece as a geographical entity of the towns of Athens and Sparta lost their importance, and other centers took over, places like Antioch, Alexandria, Pergamon. These towns were of greater weight. Mm-hmm. Our guides into the antiquities of the
0: Eastern Mediterranean today on Travel with Rick Steves are Anastasia Gaetanou from Greece and Cullen Clement from Egypt. Now, when we're traveling around the Eastern Mediterranean, especially in the Greek world, it seems to me whenever there's a beautiful site, an ancient site, there would also be an associated museum where the beautiful um, artifacts of that civilization are, are kept. Anastasia, your your homeland is Greece. Which one of these museums, name a couple of museums where we can really get an appreciation of the elegance of life uh, in ancient Greece?
1: Well, there are a lot of them because now the new tendency is exactly that. We don't want the visitor to go into a museum and be looking at artifacts without really knowing what it is or just chronologically. We want them to understand exactly how they were used in ancient everyday life and what exactly they meant for those people. How was this everyday life? Like, for example, there is, uh, in Athens, one museum that has uh, a whole flank dedicated to everyday life, that is the Goulandris Museum or of Cycladic Art. It is one of the best in Athens. of So course, the
0: Museum of Cycladic Art yes, in Athens. Beautiful opportunity to see the cycladic civilization in an air-conditioned, modern environment. <laughs> and I, I understand this passion now for Greece to let us better understand the rubble before we go there. And this is mm-hmm. new because uh, a generation ago, the museums were pretty old school, and today they do a much better job.
1: Or also the museum in the site of the ancient Agora. is very well made, it's new, it's mm-hmm. renovated, and it's focused on everyday life of classical Athens, mainly classical Athens, and tries to show all different aspects of everyday life, having to do with the simple things that you do at home and also with the simple things you do outside, like going for, um, to buy some things or to buy with grocery of the time, but also politics. Really, how did this city, which was a state, function?
0: Both of you have traveled far and wide in the Mediterranean area. If there's one place you could take me that gives me a sense of the, the majesty of an ancient civilization, what would it be? Anastasia?
1: There are lots of places, but that also depends on the history of the place, because many times uh, there have been such destructions, you don't really see anything anymore. But there are some sites that I think are still overwhelming, like, for example, Palmyra in Syria, or Ephesus, then, the size of it, just that theater, 25,000 seats. That's really overwhelming. There's definitely a lot more. But these are sites where, as a human, I think, you can feel really small confronting the achievements of humans themselves.
0: From 2,000, 2,500 years ago. From
1: 2,300, 2,200, 2,500 years ago. I know ago. that
0: feeling, standing in the theater in Ephesus. Colin, where would you take me to to gain an appreciation of an ancient
2: civilization? I would take you to Petra in Jordan. This was the the main city of the Nabataean civilization and Nabataeans were essentially they were Semitic people related to modern Arabs who were traders bringing goods up from the Indian Ocean through the Arabian Peninsula and into the Middle East and then they would go on further and they built this absolutely remarkable city where they carved Greek style architecture which would normally be drum of column upon drum of column with pediments and, and and all the rest of it. They carved it out of the, the actual rock of the desert. Best known, perhaps, for having featured in the Indiana Jones movie with Sean Connery. Okay, so that dreamy sort of carved out of the mountain, these sophisticated temples and so on. Absolutely beautiful Greek-style temples which are carved out the living rock. Petra, P-E-T-R-A. P-E-T-R-A in the south of, of Jordan. And you see how... Arab peoples who had taken on the trappings of, we were talking about the Hellenistic world, now there's a shared language and shared architectural styles, they are building in a style that was developed in Greece some 200 years before them, oh. and they're building in their own way out of the rock itself, and it's a magical place. Well, we've just scratched the surface and, and like the terrain of the eastern Mediterranean itself,
0: if we dig deeper, we'll learn more. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about antiquities in the Eastern Mediterranean. Our guests have been Anastasia Gaetanou from Greece and Colin Clement, a Scotsman who lives in Egypt with a French archaeological dig in Alexandria. Colin Clement, Anastasia Gaetanou, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, we'll explore the heel of Italy, and then it's on to the splendor of Morocco on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union Delegation to the USA. Tips about traveling in Europe and information about the EU are available at euintheus.org. If you're looking to explore a truly untouristed part of Italy where you can feel like you're stepping into an earlier century, I'd say the heel and the instep of the boot of Italy are a good bet. To help us explore the rough-cut region that includes Apulia and Basilicata is southern Italian tour guide Aldo Valerio. We'll take your calls for Aldo in just a bit at 877-333-7425. Aldo, thanks for being here.
4: Grazie, Rick. Grazie.
0: I know that you wanted to have an interview about this, and I've never been there. Why why should we know about this, the instep of the Italian boot, way down in the
4: south? Because everyone has been traveling to the north of Italy, has been visiting Roma, Firenze, but there are some regions in Italy, especially in the south, which are still unspoiled, which are still not been discovered by the travelers. Yeah, but is there anything to discover there? Oh, we got uh, the region of Apulia. Apulia is where we have uh, an important historical heritage. And uh, we have uh, places like Alberobello, this is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Albero Bello. Bello. is where you have conical washed houses. Oh, going yes. back to the primitive times, yeah. that's where the old population used to live. They look like beehives,
0: kind of. beehives. Very, yeah. very
4: tiny, and then it's been declared for the last 10 years a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And how it's old are
0: these beehive houses? Going
4: back to more than um, 1,000 years ago, definitely.
0: All right. And when we think of the word Apulia and Basilicata, si. we also think
4: of the word Calabria. Calabria. Calabria is another important region which is located in the southern section of the border at the border with Sicily. So that's another area also. It's another area. So we, Italy has states and these are three states? Italy has idea? got three states. Basilicata, which is very small, is the second smallest regions we have in Italy. Then we have Calabria and then we have Apulia. Okay, now how is the temple of life different in the south compared to the north? I mean if you come into the south of Italy and you are expecting perfection, it won't be like that. You really have to psychologically prepare yourself before visiting southern Italy. This
0: is critical, I think.
4: <laughs> this is cr- <laughs> if you want punctuality, if go you to want Milano. punctuality, Go to Milano, even if to be honest with you, Rick, even the north is changing a lot, there's not really so much perfection. But then at the end, all this imperfection will make your holiday. An experience to cherish all your life. Because it's interesting. We have time as money, and you have to use it very carefully and everything,
0: and everything's got to be chop, chop, chop. But in the South, I think maybe they're a little looser with their time, but time is appreciated. It's living in the moment.
4: Yeah, time appreciated because we don't really plan anything in advance. That means we don't know what we're going to do during the day. We don't know what is going to happen the day after. We take life as it comes. So you're not stressed out if you have no, no plans no, 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 for the no, afternoon. No. no. <laughs> piano, piano. We take life A piano, piano. What way. does no that mean? Piano, piano, piano. Piano, means slowly, slowly. Piano, piano. We just wake up in the morning, <sighs> Rick. We just have a... Quick breakfast, cappuccino, cornetto, we walk in the square, we sit in the square because the world is there. We play cards, then we fall asleep, covering the eyes with our hair, to wearing sunglasses, so people do not know that we are actually having a nap. And then at lunchtime, we go back home and the lunch is ready. So that's the beautiful Southern Italy life and mentality.
0: Whoa. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're being tempted to go piano piano. Not so fast. Bravissimo. Not so fast. I like that. Piano, piano. Piano. And I'm speaking with Aldo Valerio. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. 877-333-7425. Bravissimo, Did I get it right? All right, good. And Bill's on the phone in Livermore, California. Bill, thanks for your call.
5: Buonasera, Rick. Ciao, Bill. Um, ciao, Aldo. Ciao. I wanted to talk about uh, both Matera and Albero Bello, because we've stayed in both. Uh, we drove from the north down, and I'd always been a little reluctant, because Rick, you always say it gets so much more intense when you go south of Rome. But That's right. I, I found it to be much more laid back, and you're, you know, when Aldo mentioned World Heritage Sites, those are the places I look for yeah. now, because yeah. we stayed in a hotel that was carved into the rocks in the of Matera. Oh. We could look out our window to a huge rock that had two chapels carved into it. And you look across the Canyon to more caves that people have lived in since paleolithic times and, you know, it's just, you're like in a whole other time and place. Wow, now, this is material?
4: Yeah, this is material. It looked like a nativity scene, yes. even with all the lights, all the houses perched into Didn't, the rock. Didn't
0: uh, the movie, uh, the, the Passion? The Mel
4: Gibson, The Passion, yes. The Passion of the this Christ. The place, I,
5: when yes. I first arrived, I thought, this looks like some ancient Middle Eastern place. Bravo. And then later I found it, that that was filmed there, and it's just it's just a perfect setting. And then you get to Alberobello which is just as ancient, the, those... Trullies come from the styles of the ancient tombs in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. And, uh,
0: so you stayed, you actually, we were
4: talking about these beehive houses, they're called truly Yeah, we stayed in one. Truli. Yeah. Truli, T-R-U-L-L-I. The, the Truli, population yeah. is still living over there and everyone nowadays is purchasing a Trullo. They really right. want to invest in yeah. the area. So, wonderful area you have discovered. So, Bill,
0: you found yeah. that there was a little hotel that was renting rooms in a truly actually.
4: Yes, they,
5: there was, there's actually yeah. an organization that will rent you their their individual houses and they're truly, because Trullo is singular, so yeah, see. they're usually made up of two or three uh, okay. of these domes. And, of course, originally they were built without mortar. Yeah, And I understand it was so that they could take them apart so when the tax man came, they <laughs> didn't have to <laughs> That's pay true. taxes.
4: It happened the same in Matera as well. But nowadays all those houses are now on sale for just a... Uh, <sighs> few millions of euros or so, now everyone is going to go back. They're very trendy very now. Very short, huh? very trendy. So, But that's becoming. interesting,
0: Bill, you're talking about that sort of heritage where you have to be afraid of the tax collector and yeah. so on. Talking about the heritage of this area, which was always under the thumb of some greedy colonial power, and consequently, you know, I would, I would always expect that it'd be pretty poor, but what did you find as far as just the standard of living and the comfort level of people's lives down there?
5: That's what I was expecting, that maybe it would be poor, but for example, Matera, we would... Climb up to the top of the hill where the people live now, and you know, join in the pasajada. And you know, the 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 older gentlemen would be in their sport jackets and ties and vests, and so I wasn't joking, Bill. (laughs) It's it's just marvelous.
0: You got to do the pasajada. Describe the pasajada more, Bill, when you're out with the people.
5: Well, you just kind of join in in Matera. It's up in the upper reaches of the town, the newer part of the town, and. People are just wandering. We happened to be there. At one point, there was a feast day, so a lot of the churches were full, but people were out in the streets wandering. People were just wonderful.
0: So we're talking about the south of Italy, Apulia, Basilicata, those are the the states, and Calabria also, but uh, specifically the instep, if you think of Italy as a boot. And the most uh, popular towns, apparently, are Matera, which we know from watching uh, the movie The Passion, because when you look at that movie, you think, whoa, what a setting. It actually exists. It uh, exists. This year, right now, you can go there. Yeah. And then what Bill is talking about also, Alberobello, and that's where you stay in these beehive houses called Truly. Bill, thanks for your call.
4: Thank you. Grazie, ciao. Bill. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Arrivederci. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.
0: Jen's on the phone in Wawatosa, Wisconsin.
4: Ciao, ciao, Rick. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> grazie, grazie. I'm
6: very interested in traveling to Basilicata, but I'm really more interested in traveling to the towns that all the tourists don't go to. Where would I find a listing of hotels or bed and breakfasts or places to stay in the lesser-known towns and villages of Basilicata?
4: That's a good question. To be honest with you, Basilicata is very unspoiled. It's one of the few regions all over Italy which life seems like going back to 78 years ago. So it's mainly small villages and towns, very difficult really to give an idea because there's not really a main town over there popular where everyone is going You can find information, even the tourist office, the website of the area of Potenza. This is the main uh, town that we have uh, in Basilicata looking at the website as well that The majority of the hotels in, uh, in Basilicata, they're mainly bed and breakfast. Right. Nowadays, as you know, we have this fashion in Italy, especially in southern Italy, of the bed and breakfast. What Some, is the word for bed and breakfast? No, no, we it just use, yeah. You can it si, ag- agriturismo, which agriturismo? is very popular in contact with nature. Camere? Camere or bed and breakfast or pensione, which okay, is Okay, So beautiful. you look for little, little oh, pensions, definitely. little
0: guest houses. You know, my hunch would be, if you wanted to explore and not like, you know, with Bill, we were talking about the famous places where there are quite a few tourists, but Basilicata, if you had a car, you could really, really adventure. And then I don't think I would burden myself with a list of hotels because you could just drive around and wherever you fancy, you could stop and look for a little place. And if you had the the nerve to go there, uh, Jan, without reservations and a list of hotels, that would be the best way. But what do you think, Aldo?
4: I agree with you. First of all, because it's not very crowded, it's not very popular with travelers. So there's always availability with the hotels, pension, and they like it when you come last minute. They will open the doors of their house and they will welcome you as a member of the family. So that's now, a great choice. Now, how are
0: choice. the prices, Aldo, from the north to the south?
4: Uh, in the north, are they more expensive, definitely. So it, it depends gonna, on the season as well. But if you're
0: going around in the south, can you travel cheaper than Florence Oh, definitely, Rome? Probably definitely. Probably half price It depends
4: Rome. on the popularity of the region that right. you are visiting. Basilicata, in this case, it will be quite cheap, I can tell you. A bedroom per night will be 30, 40 euro maximum. 30 or 40 oh, euros yes, for very, two very people. Beautiful. Definitely.
6: Fabulous because I like to travel inexpensively. I usually get
4: yeah.
0: a
6: scooter, which makes it easier to get around to all the places. Nice. And park.
0: Now, Jan, at, at, at 30 euros a night, Jan, you're going to have some money left over for a nice dinner. <laughs> Aldo, when you're in Basilicata uh, in the south. Are you
6: treating me, Aldo?
4: <laughs> I will treat you, Jen, with pleasure. We take you all around. <laughs> the food is amazing over there. What should Jan eat? Um, well, I mean, uh, over there we have uh, specialities like pasta. We have it at all times, but I mean, because we are surrounded by mountains, by a very important mountain range over there, we actually use a lot of mushrooms, like in Tuscany, porcini. Mm. So we got this kind of special meat, which is very popular. Game, yeah, boar? wild so boar. So definitely or what? wild boar, like in Tuscany. So I can tell you that uh, we what have is the uh, word for wild boar? Um, cinghiale. cinghiale. This That's is the right. word. Cinghiale. Ooh. I would say maiale, which is a little bit different. Is there been, spicy food down there? Oh yeah, we have well, a lot I've been of in
6: spicy. See, in Liguria, si, Liguria camp, as well.
4: Liguria. Definitely. It, oh, it. Lots of spi- We use a lot of spices. We got simple food, but then very, very spicy because we are very close to Calabria. And over there we got a good production. And the olive oil, Jenny, is just fantastical. Really? Now why uh, would the olive oil be fantastic? You know what? Because in their area in Basilicata, when they make the first pressing of the olive oil. The first they, pressing, yeah. Oh yeah, they they use <laughs> the green and the black olives. So they mix together and then it comes as such a wonderful olive oil with a kind of orange color and it's just amazing. If you
0: wanted to buy that in Rome, is it possible? Not in Rome. No? So you've got to go to Basilica. You have to go, yes. Yeah,
4: so this is oh, another reason why you have you know, to go there. I,
0: Jen, just talking about this makes me want to get down
4: there. <laughs>
6: oh, I just want to go so badly right now and I have to wait till
4: June so get year, the first ticket, fly ticket, and then come to see us. I <laughs> not <laughs> to see you. I'm
6: very willing to do anything like that. Grazie. Can I ask you to buy olive oil from not necessarily a shop, but right from the farmer, right from the field. Mm. Do you think
4: that's possible? It, it is possible, especially in that part of southern Italy, because as you can imagine, uh, those people, they, the farmers, they have uh, a piece of ground which represents the all important resource of living nowadays in mm-hmm. southern Italy. So those people, they make the wine, they make the olive oil, and what they do during the winter, they sell it. So you're living off the land. The local oh, people are living you off the to. local land. You have to. It's because flows food so without even trying. Definitely, and then uh, you will have so much opportunities when you go to Basilicata for sure just going to an agriturismo that's the place that's a
0: good idea Jan by the way all over Italy but especially in the rural districts in the south Bravo. you have agriturismos and an agriturismo is uh, regulated by the government because it's it's renting out rooms but it has to be a working yeah. farm yeah when you see agriturismo, you know it it's not just somebody renting a room, it's a working farm yeah. that is supplementing its income. Honestly, I'm going to get myself down there and check it out. Jen, thanks for your call.
4: Thank <laughs> Ciao, you. Ciao Jane, see you in Ciao, Italy. Jane. Ciao bella. Ciao Gaella.
0: Aldo Valerio from Southern Italy is taking your calls at 877-333-Rick as we explore the far south of Italy right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Steve's on the phone and guest in Gaston, Oregon. Steve, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, do you have a comment about southern Italy, Apulia?
7: What I really enjoyed I mean, the place is absolutely wonderful, and it's, its I'm going to say, more rustic yeah. than rustic. much of Italy.
0: That's a good word. But, Bravo.
7: but you also see that in the food. So you can go to some of the restaurants and get some fantastic traditional food. And like Aldo was talking about in Basilicata, we spent most of our time in the Puglia area. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got it, it it didn't cost that much. The meals we had were what do you say, Aldo?
4: Squisito? Squisitissimo. Oh, you, yeah. know why? you know why, Steve? Because in southern Italy, especially in that part of southern Italy, they don't gather for travelers. The prices are for the locals. But oh, they don't
0: cater for travelers. Yes, yeah, they don't cater for designed. travelers. Now, now, Steve was saying
4: uh, ex- oh. exquisite.
0: What is the word squisito, for ex- Squisito, squisito. Squisito. And if you want to go extremely exquisito.
4: Squisitissimo. I like oh, it, actually. I'll <laughs> have to remember that. Squisitissimo. Yeah, remember that, Steve. Squisitissimo. You know, I've been talking about Italy for 30 years, and I've never
0: stumbled onto this word, and we're not just going though. we're going squisitissimo. squisitissimo. <laughs> now, Steve, when you were down there, did you eat, like, on the seaside, or was it up in a hill town?
7: Uh, we, did, we did both. Uh, we stayed in two different places for our two weeks. One was in Giovanazzo. And it, there's not much to the town, but they yeah. had a wonderful little seaside restaurant there. And and my Italian is <laughs> limited to not much at all. And we had a, a restaurant there that served us a seven-course <laughs> um, right the, right the And sea, we didn't right on know the what harbor. we were getting. It was just absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then further down the coast at uh, Polignano Amare. Uh,
4: I love it. A, I love Amare. Oh, Yeah, there's a wonderful...
7: Beautiful restaurant yeah. in a cave there, in one of the hotels.
0: Polignano, Polignano a mare. You, you It's three have, words. Yeah, Polignano, Polignano a mare. It's
4: located on a on rock oh by my the goodness. sea. It's just amazing. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful historical section. Absolutely. Now, Steve,
0: you know, the, the beautiful thing I would imagine is when you're in the more rustic part of Italy, you can just go to a little family-run restaurant and yeah. say, "Spoil me, bring me everything," and it won't cost that much money. Like if you did in Florence or Venice or something like this. No,
7: it doesn't. That is the beauty of the whole thing. It you got
0: seven-course yeah. meal, and and you know <laughs> you're not going anywhere. You stay there. You think the meal's done, and here comes all. It's like a chemistry lab with all the drinks they'll bring out after that, and <laughs> the, and the sweets and so on. Steve, talk about the wine. Did you get the fancy wine or by the by the uh, just house wine or, or which
4: one did you like, Steve? Uh, you know,
7: I have a friend of mine that's a re- <laughs> oh, say that? and he says, did you try some of the good primitivos <laughs> yeah. or the negro amaros and See? they go huh and I said every time we got to the table I would get some of the table wine and the table <laughs> wine that we had no matter where we were down there It was absolutely
4: fantastic. (laughs) Bravissimo, Steve. (laughs) I'm on my
0: way. I I mean, seriously, I'm just getting caught up in this. This is so much fun. Steve, thanks so much for your inspirational call, and you've added a word to my vocabulary. I'm going to think I'm going to use it in English. (laughs) Squisitissimo.
4: Grazie, Steve. Ciao, bello. Grazie. Arrivederci. Ciao, arrivederci.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been exploring the deep south of Italy, Apulia and Basilicata. With Aldo Valerio, you know Aldo. When you travel to Italy, a lot of times we have the famous things—the Leaning Tower, si. the, you know, the Vatican, Michelangelo's David. Yeah. When you go to the south, uh, you don't have these big sites.
4: We don't have these big sites, but uh, we got the pleasure of life. We we got uh, the uh, the simplicity which can make your life uh, absolutely unique. So sometimes I just sit on my terrace looking at the beautiful seaside, and sipping a glass of wine and watching the world goes by. This is in my opinion the difference between the north and the south.
0: Piano piano.
4: Piano piano. This is my philosophy of life.
0: Slow it down. Si. Embrace the moment.
4: Bravissimo
0: Rick. Vino al tavolo.
4: Tavolo vino sempre. <laughs> <laughs> Table wine forever. Aldo. No. <laughs> grazie, grazie mille, grazie a te Rick. I'll ciao. See you in ciao, the ci vediamo. Ciao ciao.
0: We'll take another Mediterranean adventure next with a visit to North Africa, where Arab, Berber, and European cultures weave themselves into a very pleasing mix. Insider tips for exploring the many sides of Morocco, from medieval Fez to the desert markets of Marrakech, and your calls at 877-333-7425. That's next on Travel with Rick Steves. One of my favorite ways to spice up a trip to Spain is an easy one-hour ferry ride across the Strait of Gibraltar to Morocco. Joining us for a personal look at his home country is Tangier-based tour guide Aziz Begdouri. Aziz holds master's degrees in European Union law and Islamic law from his studies in Spain and Morocco. He's also helped me and other travel presenters with filming logistics in Morocco. He's with us right now to help us explore the best of Morocco and to take your calls at 877-333-7425. Aziz, thanks for joining us today on Travel with Rick Steves. You're welcome. And uh, I hope you're enjoying your trip to the United States.
3: I'm loving it so much. Have you been to the United States before? (laughs) I have been six times. Six times. This is my sixth trip, so it's a... Shows you how much I love the uh, United States. Well, I think Moroccans love the United States. That's nothing new in history, is it? Exactly. The connection has goes back to 1776. The Sultan of Morocco at that time recognized the independence of the United States. And then uh, he gave to U.S. a building in Tangiers to establish the first uh, was American Morocco? embassy. I believe
0: mm. Morocco was the first country to recognize the United States as an independent nation. Yes, Correct. Well, here's to Morocco. Yeah. Now, if we want to visit Morocco today, Mm -hmm. to me, there's there's three zones in Morocco. You've Mm -hmm. got sort of the Mediterranean kind of north-looking zone. Yeah. You've got the mountain range, the Atlas Mountains, that separate the Mediterranean part of Morocco from the Sahara Desert part of Morocco. And then you've got Dramatic resorts on, on the Atlantic coastline. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a big picture of Morocco from a tourism point of view, with that in mind?
3: Uh huh. Morocco is a beautiful country on terms uh, for tourism. So Morocco is a country has two coastlines, as he says, the Med and the Atlantic. So the north is all the Mediterranean, and it's fantastic for their beautiful beaches there. And so far, Moroccan government has started to rely on tourism. So starting to do resorts. So a lot of Europeans
0: are coming down to Morocco Morocco, then. yeah. Okay, so there's the Mediterranean beaches. Mm-hmm. And then
3: we have the Atlantic coast, which is a long coastline. And that seems a little more exotic and almost exotic. like the,
0: the tropical seas or something exactly. like this. Different than Mediterranean. Completely different. What is the best place to go on the Atlantic coast of Morocco uh,
3: and why? One of the places is Saouira. Saouira. Is Saouira. it's a nice city, which is uh, 100% Moroccan and has beautiful beaches and south of Sawira, it's a beautiful place for surfing. It's become one of the most famous places in Morocco and worldwide known surfers come from Australia, New Zealand, from Europe. Now, Morocco has imperial cities, isn't that what you call your big cities? Mm Mm-hmm, imperial
0: cities. What are the imperial cities?
3: Imperial cities is Fez, Meknes, Marrakech, and Rabat.
0: Okay, and why are they called the imperial cities?
3: They're called imperial cities because a certain part in the history were capitals of a certain dynasty. Okay, so these were different capitals. Different capitals.
0: Fez was the capital?
3: Yes. Fez was the capital of the Idrisid dynasty. Fez is one of the most amazing cities in Morocco. It's dated back to the 8th and 9th century. 8th and 9th? So more yeah. than 1,000 years old is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. It's considered the most spiritual. And the Medina of Fez is the biggest medina in the Arab world, and the Muslim world. Tell me uh, what, what you mean by a medina. Because Medina this is a is big the, part of traveling in Morocco. Yeah, the Medinas is old cities. Okay. The old city. And it's most of the time is, uh, has a fortification. So or generally fine. the walled city the walled with city. the
0: tangled street plan and the little lanes. Mm-hmm. My experience is every major city has two parts, the modern French colonial city yeah. and then the old, old Arabic city. walled city. Mm-hmm. And the romantic place to go is in the Medina. The Medina, yeah. But your, prob- your hotel and your bus station and uh, all of the uh, modern businesses would be a short walk away Yeah, in the modern French colonial city.
3: That's correct. But nowadays, there's a a lot of places now it's called riads or guest homes, which is very in fashion today where travelers come and stay and experience a real uh, enjoyable... uh, A riad. A riad, yeah. How do you spell riad? R-I-A-D. R-I-A-D. Yeah. It's an Arab home with a courtyard. In the city or in the countryside? No, no, in the old city. Okay. In the old city. You walk by a narrow alley, and the only thing you see of that house is a little door. When you enter it, it's magical. You enter, you find a courtyard, fountain in the middle, olive tree or orange tree, so you
0: can, and, you're like a nobleman in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm, exactly. Because they would have a sort of a fortified exterior, no mm-hmm. windows, uh, just one little door. Well, that's door.
3: a part of the charm of the Arab uh, culture. It's very simple from outside, but all the beauty is the inside. So from outside you can know the limits of that house. You can never tell how nice. You will see it's very deceiving. It's very deceiving. You see it's... And very mysterious from outside. So people keep their
0: wealth and their luxury a little bit exactly, private. Exactly,
3: exactly. Because in the, those old cities, all different class <sighs> of people, rich, yeah. poor, middle class. So, in order not to hurt feelings of the neighbors. Or you don't want uh, to show off your wealth because exactly. it's more likely
0: to be targeted by some bandits when they come into <laughs> town. So, as travelers, we can stay in a Riyadh, R-I-A-D, a Riyadh. Yeah. In, a, in a
3: great city. So, Fez was the most important uh, sort of religious capital? It is a religious capital, and still considered today religious capital of Morocco, because uh, it goes back to the Moulay Idris II, the, the founder of uh, the city of Fez. His tomb, he's buried there. It's one of the biggest mausoleums which is visited by the Moroccan people when they go to Fez as a pilgrimage for them. And uh, also the tourists, they stop and take pictures of that mausoleum. Beautiful tiles when you go to these cities. Beautiful, beautiful. Tell me about the tiles. The tiles uh, is uh, a mosaic. Uh-huh. They have in Fez just outside a lot of uh, factories where they still work them clay just by their hands and feet and then they put them in a thousand degree heat ovens, wood ovens, and then they bake them and then take them out, glaze them, put them back to the oven, and then start working on them on the mosaic. And they have a personality.
0: They're kind of rough. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the artists told me we make it not quite perfect because
3: only God is perfect. That's correct. That's correct. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a beautiful
0: thing. Yeah. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Aziz Begdouri. We're talking about Morocco. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Margot's on the line in Astoria, Oregon. Margot, thanks for your call.
8: Well, thanks. I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm a healthy 68-year-old woman, and I enjoy traveling with others, but I often travel by myself. And I have never been to Morocco, but I've always been fascinated by it and and its literary and cultural history. But I'm wondering if a woman can safely travel in Morocco, and if so, where should she or should she not travel, and uh, where
3: could she stay?
0: So a woman alone... Traveling in Morocco, you're, you're a guide. You've had yeah. many women. In, oh, have, yeah, have many. They, have they been on their own? And yeah, what, I
3: had a lot of women What are the dangers?
0: Own. What are the concerns for them?
3: Uh, the only concern is that they should dress properly. I mean, long pants on long sleeves. Why uh, would they do that? They're in a Muslim country, and they have to be dressed respectfully. respectfully. And this way, also, they don't take attention from...
0: You know, I see. So you don't want to look like Madonna walking down the street. Of course. Or la- uh-huh. Lady, <laughs> Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, bed no. style. No. <laughs> okay, Margot, no Lady Gaga <laughs> stuff. No, no, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> what are
1: they, and what? How,
8: about, how about staying at various hotels and things? Should one always plan ahead uh, in terms of visiting Morocco and other Muslim countries and book lodging far in advance that one knows is safe and secure?
3: it's better to to book in advance otherwise hotels there is a lot but to choose the, the appropriate places to stay so it's better to do searches in advance and you know where you're staying otherwise uh, you can always go and depend on there's a big series or different classes of hotels
0: it sounds margot
3: like you th- you're
0: thinking of morocco as a little more dangerous than europe for a woman
8: perhaps i am i've also been to certain parts of southwest asia and found, uh, to my surprise and delight, that it was actually much safer there than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't know about Morocco, given that it's a Muslim country and women may be under, as you suggest, you know, special conditions for women's dress. And I wonder, like, as far as traveling throughout the country, if there are parts that are safer than others.
3: As I say, she doesn't have to wear a uh, headscarf or anything.
0: So just, Well, that's uh, an interesting point. Mm-hmm. If an American woman... Is surrounded by local women wearing headscarves. Mm-hmm. Is it okay for the American woman to wear a headscarf also?
3: Uh, it is okay. Or is it, better, to... is it better?
0: not to? Both is uh, either you like. Because yeah, I know either
3: I... because in Morocco we have when you go you will be surprised seeing as about eight different style. Yeah, there, types. you know
0: this is one thing, Margot, that you really need to recognize. In the modern Muslim world, you'll find different women. Local women have a different. Um, style. Yeah. Some of them are. are Way as, of dressing. They look like yeah. they're right out of Paris, yeah, and other exactly. ones look like they're exactly. visiting from the mountain tribes. Exactly.
3: That's why they say that for American, you dress the same year clothes. You don't have to buy nothing special, but just long pants and long sleeves. One thing you know? I
0: found is you'll want to spend enough money, I would think, as a woman traveling alone to have a safe refuge in a See. hotel that keeps out the riffraff. Mm-hmm. If you're staying in a cheap hotel in the old city, then you've got all sorts of people exactly. that you might feel uncomfortable with hanging yeah. out in the lobby. Yeah. But when you stay in a Western-class hotel in the colonial section of town, then they recognize that you need a little bit of a refuge. And you can go into your hotel and catch your breath and mm-hmm. and read uh, you know, the yeah. Herald Tribune and, and just kind of get a break from the intensity of the streets. Yes very
8: nicely. It wonderful. It really does. I'd really like to go, and I, <laughs> you know, I think you've allayed some of my concerns.
0: Thanks, Margo, for your call, and have a good time uh, on your visit.
8: Thanks so much.
0: Nancy's on the phone in Venice, Florida. Nancy, thanks for your call.
6: Yes, hi. My adult daughter and I enjoy traveling, and we're very interested in going to Morocco. We also are um, interested in cooking, so we're wondering about some place we could visit where we could get cooking lessons. My daughter's a vegetarian, so she's especially interested in all the marvelous ways of fixing vegetables.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Cooking classes, that's a very good topic. Uh, One of those Riyadhs, uh, guest places, uh, there's a lot of them, they offer classes. Ah, that's
6: good.
3: Even they take people to accompany them to the market and they buy fresh... Fruit, vegetables, oh, uh, fresh chicken or lamb yes. or or fish, and bring them and with spices and olives and everything and cook it and so give you, them you classes. Could, you, could,
0: you could go to the market and you could shop and then you could take it home and you can cook it and then you can oh. eat it together.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And for your daughter, she is a vegetarian. Morocco has the most amazing vegetables because Morocco yes. is a very farming country. We have uh, all type of vegetables, and uh, most of it is grown organic.
0: Nancy, you are in for one treat when you go to Morocco uh, and take the eating as part of the sightseeing and cultural Absolute. experience.
6: That sounds wonderful.
0: Thank you for your That's call. Delightful. Happy you. travels. Aziz Begdouri is taking us deep into Morocco right now on Travel with Rick Steves. You can join us for a sunset view in Tangier with Aziz over a cup of mint tea in an extra feature to this week's show. You'll find that in this week's radio show details on our website at ricksteves.com. Our phone number is 877-333-RICK and by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. Michael's on the phone in Juneau, Alaska. Michael, thanks for your call.
9: Alaikum. Walaikum
0: salam
3: alaykum. <laughs> Wa salam.
9: All right. Au <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh Ten years ago, <laughs> on four weeks of independent travel with a female friend... Uh, We discovered Asila or Asila.
3: Asila, yeah.
9: uh, And spent one week there, and it was Mm enchanting. So, my question is Is Asila still a place where maybe, unless they listen to uh, Rick Steves, they wouldn't find it? The Western people? (laughs) Ah. Is it still untouched?
3: Asila today there's a uh, more tourists more tourists because we take people there
9: yeah <laughs> yeah yes.
3: uh, Michael describe
0: Asilah. just describe where it is and what it is it's
9: it 's a predominantly Moroccan beachfront holiday town, yeah. about an hour an hour and a half south of Tangiers by rail or car, mm-hmm. and it has a soup that 's remarkable mm-hmm. because it sits in the part of town surrounded by the Portuguese fortifications from the 17th century.
0: Correct, yeah. Wow. And now this is on the Atlantic coast.
9: Atlantic coast. It was just a delightful place. Yeah. It does have a weekly marketplace. Uh, market market place. Thursdays. Just another thought, uh, Tangiers versus Ceuta from Spain. I would vote for Ceuta any time, although Tangiers has its colors. Ceuta uh, is a little a less drastic introduction without so many people hitting on you.
0: Okay, so in other words, there's two ways to take the ferry over to Morocco. You can go to the Spanish Protectorate of Ceuta, or you can go to the Moroccan city of Tangier. Did you go down with a car or just walk off the ferry?
9: Walked off the ferry.
0: What's uh, Aziz's take on that? I, I know what you're talking about because it's intense to go to Morocco although I think Tangier's become a little better organized lately.
3: Yeah, Ceuta, it's in Africa and Moroccan territory, but it's still under Spanish control. So if you're in Ceuta, you are not You're not really in Morocco, Morocco. yet. <laughs> right. But when you step off the boat in Tangier, hello, Morocco. <laughs> you are in Morocco.
0: I love no, that. No, you are in the real Morocco. Man, When I walk up, that ferry opens up, and I'm right in there with the backpackers and the cars, and in 100 yards, I've got all these all these hustlers around me trying to get me to be their guide.
9: Yeah, one other thought on independent travel around Morocco, two-thirds of my travel was by train. Mm -hmm. The balance by bus included going down to the desert. We went to both of the desert front towns, but taking a bus down there is well worthwhile to either of them, and that's where I definitely would vote for getting a guide Mm -hmm. to take you for one or several nights into the desert.
0: Now, would that be from Tinahir or where is it at or Erishidia? Uh, Erfurt. Well,
9: from, from Marrakesh, for example. Marrakesh okay. is a good central point.
3: So uh, from Marrakesh, it goes first to Warzazat, and then from Warzazat, you can head to Zagora. Yeah, Zagora. That Zagora. Was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. From there, you can take a little excursion yeah, once you get to into the desert. desert. Zagora, then from R- there R-Rusani. to the
0: Mohammed. You get to a place where the next stop really is Timbuktu. <laughs> right,
9: yeah. and the sign is there saying yeah. next, next stop Timbuktu <laughs>
0: yeah. amazing, now that's a very important dimension of Morocco that I think a lot of people miss, mm-hmm. and Michael you're advising get a guide to help you out with this, you can get it from Marrakesh and go over the Atlas Mountains or you can take the bus down to where it's at and get a guide there that good
9: yeah. that's mm-hmm. great,
0: Michael thanks for your call, you bet And talking with Aziz and travelers like Michael, it honestly makes me want to get back to Morocco. What a wonderful place. And especially if you don't have a lot of money because Uh Morocco is friendly. It's kind of uh, odd because English comes in fourth place in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. You got Arabic, you got Spanish, and you got French Mm -hmm. because the French colonial influence. And then you got your English. But you'll still find a lot of people in tourism and young people do speak English. English, yeah. And then, of course, we've got beautiful food, wonderful Mm -hmm. riyads to stay in, beautiful medieval uh, fortified cities to explore. Mm -hmm. Every town's got a colorful souk and marketplace. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been joined by Aziz Begdouri, talking about Morocco. Aziz, it's early in the morning. The sun is shining red on mud brick fortresses. We're in Marrakesh at the main square, the market square there. It's coming to life. The Berber tribes, people are arriving. What should we be sure to experience to make that visit really a good memory?
3: hmm So we go through the, the Medina to walk through the souks. It's a nice atmosphere to see the locals, the visitors, everyone. Because the Arab markets, to walk through the markets, is you feel like you are a real Morocco. You smell it, you hear it, it yeah. you feel it, you yeah. taste it. All the artists love it. And designers in Marrakesh, a lot of designers have homes because uh, these different colors, different smells make them inspired.
0: And Aziz, when I stand on top of the fort and I look out over the medina and I see the countryside and the busy marketplace activity below me, and I want to say this is very beautiful. What do I say?
3: Or you can say, Masha'Allah. Masha'Allah. What is that Masha'Allah. What a blessing from God. It's a blessing from God. Masha'Allah. Shukran. (laughs) (laughs) Shukran.
9: Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe through the back door in Edmonds, Washington, by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac kaplan wolner You can listen again on demand, browse our archives, and find guest information in the details for each week's show. It's all in the radio section of ricksteves.com. We'll see you again next week with more
0: Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union Delegation to the USA the European Union received the 2012 Nobel Peace Prize for promoting peace, human rights, and democracy. Information available at euintheus.org.
2: Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. Along those same lines, Europe 101, History and Art for the Traveler, is a must-read for anyone who appreciates Europe's rich history and great art. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the
0: Travel Store at ricksteves.com.